It's, it's, it's horrifying. I mean, they're cheering about someone saying that it's a good thing for people not to try and save their lives. I just don't get that. Well, it's a death cult, Dr. Fauci. What part don't you get? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Now in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, And all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for another thrilling edition, maybe, of the Bradcast. Glad you could be here. Uh, I'm not going to jump in. Desi Doyne will be happy to know. I'm not going to jump in right away to that death cult thing I mentioned (laughs) at the top. Yeah. But... um, Pretty soon I will. So Okey just, doke. you have been warned. Okay. Actually, we will start here. Uh, linking uh, to this story at the Arizona Republic today, longtime elections reporter Stephen Wolf, known as Politics Wolf on Twitter, uh, he tweeted, quote, the party of, quote, fiscal responsibility needlessly cost Arizona even more money by corrupting its voting machines as part of the GOP's bogus, quote, audit trying to discredit Biden's win and legitimize new voting restrictions. Being able to foist your costs on taxpayers, he says, must be nice. But of course, that's what Republicans do. And it's just one of the reasons that I do not refer to them as conservatives, and neither should you, because they ain't. They are not fiscally conservative. They are not constitutionally conservative. Or in any other way, are they conservative? That is phony branding, and anybody who gives them the gift of describing them as such is doing them a favor that they do not deserve. Stop calling them conservative. They are right-wingers. They are Republicans. They are not conservative. If they were, well, we wouldn't have this uh, story I've got for you here out of Arizona. So just stop calling them that. But I've already digressed, <laughs> and we have barely even started the show. Uh, as the Arizona Republic reports today... Uh, 
yes, that phony audit by the cyber ninjas of the 2020 presidential election and senatorial election in Arizona, because those are the two races the Democrats won in the state. Uh, the audit that was supposed to take just a few weeks and wrap up by mid-May, well, it is still ongoing and we still have no idea what they are actually doing in that so-called audit or what they are at least pretending to be finding. You'll recall that I reported months ago that by the math of the Cyber Ninja's own procedural documents, which a court forced them to release after they claimed that those processes were trade secrets, even though this exercise is funded at least in part by Arizona taxpayer dollars, those processes allowed for a minimum of 42,000 votes to be tallied incorrectly in this so-called audit. That's the acceptable error rate by their own processes that would not set off any internal alarm bells in a presidential contest that Joe Biden won in Arizona by just about 10,000 votes. 42,000 votes at a minimum can be wrong, and they're cool with that. So, yes, that clown show audit theater is still underway somewhere secretly in the bowels of Phoenix and or Montana, where one guy is said to have taken all of the data records, if not the actual ballots that remain in Phoenix, taking them to a, a secluded Unabomber style cabin <laughs> somewhere up there in Montana to do God knows what with all of that voter da data. But I have digressed again. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Maricopa County, after being ordered to hand over 2.1 million ballots and all of the county's voting and tabulation equipment by the Arizona State Senate, will now be forced to spend millions of dollars to purchase and then destroy the old equipment that they have been using that was subpoenaed for the audit as well as for new systems before the upcoming elections. The GOP majority board of supervisors in Maricopa County, who, to their credit, opposed this private secret audit mandated by the GOP state Senate, they voted unanimously this week for the funding uh, to buy the old systems and sell and, and, and buy the new ones, buy the old systems and destroy them, and then buy the new systems and keep them. Um, they voted unanimously uh, for the funding of this after the county announced on June 28 that it would not reuse most of the voting equipment that was in the possession of the contractors for this stupid audit. Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, a Democrat, had previously warned the county that her office would, would, uh, would move to decertify the machines if officials in the county tried to use them in another election, citing concerns about the chain of custody after the Senate took possession of them and gave them away to the cyber ninjas. And chain of custody was broken. Nobody knows. Nobody can verify who's had access to those machines. We have no idea what they did to them, if they put in uh, radio modems into them, if they've changed the software. We can't know. Secretary Hobbs said she consulted with experts and officials at the uh, U.S. Department of Homeland Security and concluded there was no way to determine whether the machines were tampered with. Now that they've been in that unsupervised custody of the third party ninja group contracted by the state Senate. As a result, the Board of Supervisors in Maricopa 
agreed to purchase all of the subpoenaed equipment from Dominion Voting Systems, which they had previously been leasing. Uh, They agreed to purchase all of them for disposal. The board intends to replace the equipment with all new voting systems before the next election. Board of Supervisors Chair Jack Sellers, in a released statement after this uh, meeting where they uh, voted unanimously, said, quote, The frustrating thing is those were perfectly good machines which passed all of our accuracy tests from the time we first got them in 2019. The taxpayer paid good money for them, but now this equipment will have to be decommissioned because the Senate didn't take our warnings about chain of custody seriously. So, yeah, these were pretty much brand new machines. They were first used in the county just in 2019 uh, in the county where ballots are handmarked on paper and then scanned by these systems. Sellers went on to say in a statement, quote, When Senate leadership chose novices to conduct their audit rather than reputable certified companies, they wasted an expensive investment that had served Maricopa County voters very well in 2019 and 2020. So the county's purchase of these now void voting systems uh, will apparently come with a total price tag of two point eight million. The county is about halfway through a six point one million dollar lease deal with Dominion for these systems. So to destroy them, they will have to shell out three point three million to pay off that lease. And then they'll have to shell out even more millions for the new systems. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's this is nuts. That's more than $6 million. At least. With the purchase of 385 new precinct tabulators, nine central counters, and the required hardware for use in the next election, the amended contract with Dominion now sits at $9 million hmm. for a contract, by the way, which is set to expire at the end of 2022. All thanks to the fiscally conservative Republicans in the Arizona State Senate. You see how this works? You see why I don't call them conservatives? At the board meeting on Wednesday in Maricopa, Supervisor Steve Chukri uh, acknowledged that while the cost is high, the supervisors don't really have a choice in the matter due to the upcoming elections. He says there's a cost to all of this, but uh, let's say we vote no. We would not be able to carry out these elections, he said. Well, okay, you could carry out the elections. You could hand count the elections, hand count the ballots publicly at the precinct and save all of that money on uh, computers that right wingers are just going to describe as rigged anyway. Even when it's proven by hand counting the handmarked paper ballots that it is not rigged. So you might just cut out the expensive middleman and just publicly hand count your ballots in the first place. But that would make too much sense. And you all have enough problems right now, I guess, on your own. Yeah. And it would require paying human beings instead of, you know, machines. No, they wouldn't have to pay them. They could in uh, 40 percent of the state uh, uh, towns in New Hampshire. They hand count every ballot and it's hand counted by volunteers who live in the uh, in the towns who come on out to help with democracy at the end of the night. Apparently, they have no problem finding uh, hand counters out there who will do it for free at the precinct. Anyway, 
I'm digressing again. Board Vice Chair Bill Gates, no, not that Bill Gates, said the need for new voting equipment should not come as a surprise to the Senate. He said this choice was made by the state Senate. We made it very clear to them that if uh, if they gave these machines to people who were not certified, we could not use them again. The county is hoping that the state Senate will pick up the tab for this fiasco. Gates said, quote, I think it's fundamentally unfair to the taxpayers of Maricopa County to foot the bill for this. Meanwhile, at the same time, a new reportedly separate count of the number of ballots cast in Maricopa Maricopa County's November 2020 election that began on Wednesday afternoon at the state fairgrounds. State Senate President Karen Fan, who uh, led this entire effort in the first place, said last week that she wanted a count of the estimated 2.1 million ballots, just the number of ballots. Not how they voted, but the number of ballots as a check on the tallies that have been reported by the county's election department and the contractors that the Senate hired to do the forensic audit on the ballots. That would be the cyber ninjas. Fans said that the numbers reported by the county and the cyber ninjas do not match, although she did not provide any figures. So apparently... Uh, Again, she's citing the number of ballots here, not what the votes actually say, not what the ballots actually say, but just the number of ballots. Apparently, since it was reported that the actual secret hand counting of the 2.1 million ballots that the ninjas are doing, that that ended weeks ago. Well, there must be some discrepancy simply on the number of ballots tallied. So that could mean any number of things at this point, such as either the ninjas or the county double counted some ballots or they undercounted ballots. Or even that the cyber ninjas added ballots or lost some ballots. We can't know because the entire uh, secure chain of custody has now been lost when the actual ballots were handed over to this private conspiracy theory company with no experience in post-election audits, and they carried out the entire thing in secret. So we have no idea. As I have been warning for weeks and months at this point, the new Senate count that just started this week is reportedly focused solely on the number of ballots, not how they were voted uh, in the uh, in the presidential and Senate races. That, according to the Arizona Republic, the Senate has now bought spending more money, has now bought two paper counting machines as well as two other pieces of equipment for this new task at an estimated cost of $30,000. The price tag included a technician uh, who has been uh, training staffers who had been working for the Cyber Ninja contractors who may or may not have gotten the count wrong in the first place. It's unclear how long this new Senate count will take, but the Senate has now extended its lease yet again on a building at the state fairgrounds for another two weeks. Maricopa County Supervisor Steve Gallardo expressed frustration about what he said is an unnecessary audit and a potential cost to taxpayers. And I would say he uh, references the real cost to taxpayers here. He says we are now using close to $3 million in taxpayer money because of a big lie. They have done more damage to election integrity and democracy than ever before in history. 
Now, I've covered a lot of elections in my nearly 20 years on this beat, uh, including a lot of post-election recounts and audits, etc. It's pretty hard to argue with Gallardo there. Now, I'm generally a supporter of, believe it or not, of post-election audits of varying types for various reasons, including even if citizens uh, blatantly, purposely misled partisan conspiracy theorist citizens, even if they want to know for sure if their elections were accurately tabulated. I believe that they have the right to find that out. But there are rules and there are processes for how these things need to be done, starting with the fact that it must be a fully publicly transparent process. Unlike the clown show audit like theater that is going on in Maricopa, that is the opposite of that. That's the opposite of a public process. The opposite of what this sort of process should look like. And I do very much fear that uh, that this spectacle will have made it much more difficult in the future for legitimate post-election recounts and audits to be carried out. I fear it will frighten Democrats into not seeking them because they don't want to be compared to these wingnut clown shows that are now underway in Arizona and spreading quickly to other states as well. Democrats have long been frightened to ask for such counts, even when they should demand fully public hand counts in elections that have been tabulated by computers, but never verified for accuracy by any human beings. Democrats have always been afraid of doing that. I fear they will be even more afraid of doing so now. Our friend Jenny Cohn, election transparency advocate, uh, replied to a, a follower, a follower of hers last week on Twitter who had said, uh, quote, if Republicans want to keep dragging the election lie all the way into 2022, we should audit the re-election wins of Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham and every other lousy GOP a-hole, either that or STFU. Can I say that on the radio? No, you cannot. OK, I can say STFU. Yes, you can. All right. Uh, Jenny's response to that she said, we should at least audit where pre-election and or exit polls predicted Democratic wins that instead went to GOP. And we should audit House toss-ups because it's weird that all toss-ups went red. She then shared a, a screenshot from The New York Times uh, of the results from the 2020 House races, uh, which were split into five neat columns. Democrats expected to win easily was one column. The next, Democrats expected to win narrowly. The next column, toss-up districts. The next, Republicans expected to win narrowly. And finally, Republicans expected to win easily. Sure enough, in the expected to win easily columns, uh, all the Democrats and all the Republicans did, in fact, win their races. In the Republicans expected to win narrowly column, well, all of the Republicans won all of those House seats. But in the Democrats expected to win narrowly column, seven of the 35 or so races in that column, seven of them went to Republicans. Most curious, however, is that in the uh, in that center column, in that toss up districts column with about 27 races that were considered toss ups going into the 2020 election last November, every single race went to the Republican. 
all 27. Huh. Okay. I guess that could happen. Uh, still, does seem to me to be worth double-checking if you're actually concerned about whether the results in the 2020 election were accurate. But because it was Democrats who were on the losing end of those toss-ups, we'll just go with the original computer-reported tallies, by and large, because Democrats, as a general rule, do not seek post-election audits to make sure that the results were accurately tallied, no matter how questionable they may be. And that was before the GOP started making these clown shows out of post-election audits. And don't even get me started on some of the Senate races last year, where a whole bunch of toss-up races, or races where Republicans were actually losing handily in many of the polls, all ended up going to the Republicans anyway. So, yes, as uh, Maricopa County Steve uh, Maricopa County Supervisor Steve Gallardo said this week after voting to replace the county's voting machines because of this disaster of a pretend audit in one of the largest counties in the nation in Arizona. This clown show has, quote, done more damage to election integrity and democracy than ever before in history. He is not necessarily wrong. It is not easy to argue against that. Quick break, and we will come back with more delightful, uh, thrilling news here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Make them laugh, make them laugh. Don't you know everyone wants to laugh? Yeah. But make them laugh with you, not at you, Joe Manchin. That's uh, that's the problem. Yes, they are laughing at you, Joe Manchin. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, several Republicans, including Congressional Freedom Caucus Chair Congressman Andy Biggs of Arizona. Remember, the Freedom Caucus, by the way, is the rebranded Tea Party Caucus. They just changed their name. I will expect another rebranding soon. Maybe the Trump Election Integrity Caucus. But anyway, uh, Congressman Biggs of Arizona, Florida's Byron Donalds, Mike Johnson of Louisiana, and former Pennsylvania Senator and fired CNN talking head Rick Santorum were secretly recorded, apparently, over the weekend at the Wingnut CPAC event in Dallas last weekend. Actually, it was in Texas. Was it in Dallas? I think it was Dallas. it was in Dallas. And they were recorded heaping praise on Democratic Senators Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona. Why? Because they love the filibuster. Mansion and cinema I'm talking about here and the Republicans couldn't be more delighted about it. Uh, Of course, uh, they love the filibuster so much that it prevents for now the filibuster from being reformed, as would be needed in order to pass any federal voting rights protections 
through the U.S. Senate as desperately needed right now to counter the myriad voter suppression bills that are being passed in Republican-controlled states all over the country. The Republicans essentially are all laughing at Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema for being dumb enough to do their dirty work for them and thereby providing Republicans the perfect roadblock for Democrats' progressive agenda all at the same time. Congressman Biggs admitted, for example, that the GOP would be, quote, dead meat without the filibuster. Yeah, they would. Santorum, uh, last seen being ousted by CNN, was also in attendance here, and uh, where he not only thanked Kirsten Cinema for upholding the filibuster, but he also directly emphasized the need to block, uh, quote, the people's will to block the people's will. The video was posted by our friend Lauren Windsor of The Undercurrent. Here's a little bit of that video. We have a bunch of people running around, particularly progressives, who all they want to talk about is, well, let the people's will be done. No, 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 no. We don't want the people's will to be done immediately because you have the passions of the majority that, that remember, our, our Constitution was set up to protect who? Minority rights, not the majority rights. But the reality is they are pushing as far as they can. Fortunately for us, the filibuster is still in effect in the Senate. Without that, we would be dead meat, and this thing would be, then, then we'd be having a, a little bit more frantic discussion than we're having today. But thank goodness for Cinema and, and Joe Manchin. I like it when AOC is going after Joe Manchin. Like, this is great. This is great for me. You know, it makes my job easier as a conservative because, you know, I can go to Joe Manchin or, or, or Kirsten, uh, Cinema and be like, hey, guys, you know, and I'm really sorry you're having to go through that. That's, that's just a shame. Nobody should just be, nobody should be treated like this. I, I just really thank you for standing for the country. And, you know, all of you in this room, people at home on Zoom, let me tell you right now, if you want to do one thing to, to keep the republic af afloat, call Joe Manchin's office, call Kirsten Sinema's office, office, be polite, smile as you talk on the phone. You know, if you talk on the phone with, with a smile, your voice sounds better. He's like, hi, I'm here to talk to Senator Joe Manchin and thank him for keeping the filibuster intact. I'm, you know, I'm just a Republican voter from, from state X, doesn't matter, but I just want to say thank you. Because what's happening up here is the fact that they've decided not to blow up in the filibuster, in a lot of respects, is going to save the Republic from the worst things that the left wants to do. And HR1 is the tip of the iceberg. So we just got to hold the line right now. Keeping the filibuster is a big part of that and all the other elements that I know y'all are discussing this week. It's a lot easier to pass giveaways than it is to take them away. Really? And everybody thinks, oh, well, you know, we'll just take them away. No, we won't. No, we won't. So please, if any of you have any thoughts about the idea that a filibuster removal it was a good deal, and I know the previous president was for it and still is, it's a bad idea. Call Joe Manson and say thank you. Seriously, yeah, yeah. call Kirsten Cinema and say thank you. So that was from uh, CPAC. Yeah, Joe and Kirsten, they are laughing at you. They're laughing at you because you're doing their dirty work for them. And I really hope that those two or their staff hear those hear those clips from uh, from Lauren Windsor, so they learn what tools they have become for the Republicans. Unless that was the point, but I don't know if it is, or if it isn't. Uh, but, you know, no, 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 we don't want to we don't want to uh, the, the people's will to be done. 
We'd be dead meat without the filibuster. Thank God for Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. They want to pass the worst things, oh, horrible things like health care and child care and elder care and climate change. Oh, the horror. And allowing eligible voters to vote. He started with H.R. 1. That's the For the People Act that will allow voters to vote early, to vote by uh, absentee. It will end gerrymandering all across the country, uh, partisan gerrymandering across the country, replace the partisan gerrymanderers with independent commissions. It will uh, get dark money out of our politics. Those are the worst things that the left wants to do. Anyway, I don't know if, uh, you know, uh, the point here is to undermine Democrats when it comes to Joe Manchin. Uh, If it was, I don't think he would be uh, playing ball on the Senate Democrats budget committee agreement this week, seemingly playing ball uh, for this landmark three point five trillion dollar human infrastructure bill that would, among many other things, greatly expand Medicare and the Affordable Care Act and extend the three hundred dollars up to three hundred dollars per child per month checks that are now as of today going out to almost all families uh, who have children uh, of a certain age. Uh, This will happen for the next year, thanks to Joe Biden and the Democrats' American Rescue Plan that they passed earlier this year, which Manchin, by the way, also voted for, as it was passed under reconciliation rules that allowed a simple majority vote and on which not a single Republican voted in favor. Keep that in mind uh, when you start getting those checks every month, as uh, many of you will for the next year and maybe even longer if they can pass the infrastructure bill. Uh, The new agreement on this uh, infrastructure bill also, by the way, includes a whole lot of stuff for climate and clean energy, which Desi Doyen will be breaking down for us shortly in the (laughs) latest Green News report. Yep. Uh, But since the uh, agreement was announced on Tuesday night in the Budget Committee, chaired by progressive Senator Bernie Sanders and includes conservative Democrats on that committee, like Virginia's Mark Warner, all of the various uh, Democrats on the committee agreed, uh, signed off on this blueprint for this massive new bill. Uh, but it has not been you know, clear for sure if folks like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema would play ball, since all 50 senators will be needed to pass this measure in the Senate under those same budget reconciliation rules that allows for a simple majority vote on a bill like this. Unlike a bill to protect voting rights, which, without reforming the filibuster, a bill like that cannot be passed without 10 Republican votes, 10 Republicans coming on on board. So far, there are zero Republicans who have agreed to protect American democracy. And, of course, they have Joe Manchin to thank for that lack of protection of American democracy because Joe Manchin has not yet agreed, even though he came uh, he voted in favor of debating the For the People Act or H.R. 1. He has not yet agreed to reform the filibuster, which would be needed to pass it. But as to the infrastructure package, there is a reason to be hopeful today when it comes to Joe Manchin uh, and and for the future of this very progressive. And as both Chuck Schumer and Bernie Sanders described it this week, this transformative bill. 
Senate Democrats are off to the races after unveiling their $3.5 trillion budget package with provisions to fight climate change, bolster health care, and family service programs over the next decade, according to the Wall Street Journal. The legislation will need the backing of all 50 lawmakers on the Democratic side to pass it, however, and luckily, they say, a key Democratic swing vote appears ready at least for discussions. Senator Joe Manchin, who previously balked at the thought of a reconciliation package over $2 trillion, told CNN's Manu Raju on Wednesday that he is, in fact, quote, open to looking at everything his colleagues have provided. That would be a potential key vote of confidence in the sure-to-be painstaking negotiations. But he said that he needs to understand what will be in the bill before noting that he was open to expansion of Medicare, according to Raju. Uh, The West Virginia Democrat released a very short statement on the $3.5 trillion package, stating, I know my Democratic colleagues on the Budget Committee have worked hard, and I look forward to reviewing their agreement. I'm also very interested in how this proposal is paid for and how it enables us to remain globally competitive. He said, I will reserve any final judgment until I've had the opportunity to thoroughly evaluate the proposal. The uh, West Virginia senator is reportedly most concerned, uh, apparently, about the package's pay-fors. He wants to make sure that it will not increase the debt, which is what an actual conservative might actually care about. Whether it actually makes sense or not to care about such things since things like infrastructure, as Desi, you have pointed out, tend Frequently. to yes, tend to pay for themselves. Don't tend to. Do. They do. Yeah. Every dollar spent on infrastructure returns six to seven dollars in economic activity. Oh well, if you're going to bring facts here, Desi <laughs> Doyen, I don't. Anyway, yeah, it expands the economy. It brings in more tax revenue. But you know, as you know, Republicans only care about you know fiscal conservatism. When there is not a Republican in the White House, which is just another reason they should never be called conservative. But anyway, Joe Manchin is still playing along with the silly idea of pay fors as if that is the only way to, quote, remain globally competitive or something. Uh, But happily, he says, at least that he will reserve any final judgment till he's evaluated the proposal in full. That is good. And that proposal is intended as companion legislation to the Manchin-negotiated $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure framework bill. So, you know, President Biden and House Speaker Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Schumer have all made it clear for weeks that both of those packages, the bipartisan bill and the one to be passed with Democrats uh, along a a party vote under reconciliation, that both of those bills must happen together. Manchin's bipartisan compromise and the much larger reconciliation bill. And other than saying that he would wait to see the price tag on it, he has uh, he has not indicated that he would be against that other bill. So this is very, very good news for Democrats and for the American people who will hugely benefit from both of those bills, presumably still called the American Jobs Plan and the American Families Plan, uh, as as Joe Biden had initially described his overall $4 trillion proposal for those two bills, in which, so far anyway, are still adding up to pretty much that original $4 trillion. 
The Washington Post reports the challenge now falls to President Biden, who's got to keep his all 50 of his senators in line. Uh, Manchin's potential support combined with that of Senator Bernie Sanders, who originally envisioned a much larger package, might be a sign, as the Washington Post describes it, of the, quote, the party's appetite for political compromise. If that's what it takes, then that's just fine by me. For her part, Senator Kirsten Sinema, another key moderate, uh, said she will give the uh, key conservative, I guess we should call her at this point. She didn't used to be. Anyway, she said she will give the uh, new package, quote, careful consideration and that she is, quote, committed to working with her colleagues and the administration, all of which I am taking as very, very encouraging news this week. Because I think there's a lot of noise and crap and terrible stuff out there as I woke up and looked across the news landscape to see what was going on. Much of it terrible. But yes, there is also some very encouraging news that ultimately may end up, I would say likely end up, or at least hopefully end up, meaning much more to Americans than all of that noise and crap and terrible stuff out there. But speaking of noise and crap and terrible stuff out there, (laughs) also at CPAC over the weekend, this happened during one of the panels. Clearly, they were hoping, the government was hoping, that they could sort of sucker 90% of the population into getting vaccinated. And it it isn't happening, right? There's a... Younger people are well aware of what the risks really are, and they're well aware of the side effect profile. So, yeah, in the middle of a pandemic and in the middle of a new surge of cases in the U.S., specifically in Republican pockets of the country, the wingnut CPAC crowd cheered at people not taking the one thing that could save their lives and that could end the pandemic. CNN's Jake Tapper asked Dr. Anthony Fauci about that moment over the weekend. What I wanted to get your reaction to is the crowd cheering when this gentleman talks about how the government was not able to achieve a 90% vaccine goal. The crowd cheers. Um, as a public health official, what's your reaction when you hear that? It's, it's, it's horrifying. I mean, they're cheering about someone saying that it's a good thing for people not to try and save their lives. I mean, if you just unpack that for a second, Jake, it's almost frightening to say, hey, guess what? We don't want you to do something to save your life. Yay! Everybody starts screaming and and clapping. I just don't get that. I mean, and I don't think that anybody who's thinking clearly can get that. What is that all about? I don't understand that, Jake. Well, I guess what you should understand, Dr. Fauci, uh, is that these people, these people who are cheering this sort of thing, these people are now a death cult. And I guarantee, I guarantee you that if tomorrow Donald Trump told these people that our our country was lost and that uh, they should all drink poisonous Kool-Aid, to free themselves from this Joe Biden American nightmare, to free themselves once and for all, I guarantee you that hundreds of thousands of them would do it. They would drink the Kool-Aid. I guarantee it. 
because that is essentially exactly what they are doing by not taking these life-saving vaccines. Desi, do you have any doubt that if Donald Trump told them to drink this Kool-Aid that they that they would do it in uh, huge numbers? I'm sure that, that the large numbers would do it, and they would also frame it as owning the libs. Here, this will really stick it to the libs I'll, now. I'll show them. I'll kill myself. So I spent some time last week on on this show discussing the horrifying spiking rates of infections and hospitalizations and deaths in the southwest corner of my old home state of Missouri, where vaccination rates in many counties uh, average about 35 percent at best. Some county vaccination rates are actually in their teens in that part of Missouri, incredibly enough. So while my state, the show me state, was leading the pack that day in just, you know, this huge spike in infections and hospitalizations, it's hardly the only hard now hard right wing Trump country state these days where we are seeing these completely unnecessary nightmares exploding. Uh, Mississippi's nonprofit news outlet Mississippi Today reports the rapid rise of the Delta variant cases and virus outbreaks combined with the state's low vaccination rate led the Mississippi Department of Health to release a slew of new COVID related guidelines late last week. The new recommendations, which will stay in place through July 26, are uh, all Mississippi residents ages 65 and older, as well as anyone with a chronic underlying medical medical condition should avoid all indoor mass gatherings, regardless of their vaccination status. All unvaccinated Mississippians should wear a, a mask when indoor in indoors in public settings. All Mississippians 12 years of age and older should get vaccinated. These are, of course, recommendations, not mandates. But yes, in Mississippi, they're saying if you're going indoors in a public setting, it's time to wear your mask once again, because Mississippi, you screwed it up. Doctor uh, State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Hobbs said that these recommendations were decided on because Mississippians collectively have not done what it takes to protect us all. And MSDH, uh, uh, Mississippi State Department of Health, uh, wants to give the most vulnerable individuals the best guidance so they can survive the Delta surge that the state is facing. Dobbs said, at this pace and given the sort of external dynamics in play here, we're going to remain vulnerable for a very long time. He said, I don't think that we're uh, going to have some miraculous increase in our vaccination rates over the next few weeks. So people are going to die needlessly. While MSDH has made these uh, new recommendations, they are only that. Mississippi has had next to no COVID-related restrictions at the state level since Governor Tate Reeves, a Republican, you'll be shocked, repealed most of them back in March. Over the past two weeks, the number of Delta cases in Mississippi has increased more than fivefold. Mm. Nationally, the average number of new cases has started to trend upwards due to the localized Delta outbreaks in places like Mississippi, according to Mississippi Today, noting that uh, they have such low vaccination rates there. The Mississippi State Department of Health reported more new COVID cases last Wednesday than any day since March of this year. You know, around the time that Republican Governor Tate Reeves repealed all the state mandates that helped to keep people alive. 
Between June 3rd and July 1, they report 95% of all COVID infections in Mississippi were among the unvaccinated. During that period, the same group also uh, accounted for 90% of hospitalizations and 89% of the deaths. If you're unvaccinated, uh, you're going to be in that group. The vaccines, uh, Mississippi Today writes, are nearly as effective against the Delta variant as the original strain. But studies suggest that being fully vaccinated is the only adequate protection against Delta as a single shot of either of the two two dose mRNA vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna provide only weak protection against the infection. Despite the wide availability of vaccines and risks posed by variants, Mississippi continues to rank last in the nation in the share of its population that has been vaccinated. Only 31 percent of Mississippians have been fully vaccinated in uh, nearby Tennessee. It's getting even more horrifying, as you may have heard this week. The Tennessee Department of Health will end its vaccine outreach to teens not just for the COVID vaccine, but for all vaccines as state Republicans attack those programs and threaten to shut down the state health department entirely. According to an internal report uh, obtained by the Tennessean health commissioner, Dr. Lisa Piercy ordered her agency to halt the programs on Friday. That order means that the department will no longer hold COVID-19 vaccination sites at schools. They will no longer send notices to teens to remind them to get their second COVID-19 shot. That second shot being really important to protect against the Delta variant. All out of concern that the notifications could be in the report's words, quote, potentially interpreted as solicitation to minors. But the shutdown goes well beyond the coronavirus vaccine. Dr. Tim Jones, the department's chief medical officer, sent an email to staffers on Monday ordering them to carry out, quote, no proactive outreach regarding routine vaccines and no outreach whatsoever regarding the HPV vaccine. That, according to the Tennessean, despite the state having one of the largest numbers of uh, percentages of, of cervical cancer rates in the nation, which the HPV uh, virus vaccine helps to avoid. Additionally, the email barred staff from pre-planning school flu shots and stated that, quote, any kind of informational sheets or materials on back-to-school vaccines must have the department's logo removed. Yes, a death cult at this point. That uh, that email came on the same day of the firing of Dr. Michelle Fiscus, the top vaccine official at the state health department, after Tennessee Republicans tore into her because she sent a memo to COVID-19 vaccine administrators laying out the government's legal authority to vaccinate teens for the virus without parents' consent. It was a reminder of the nearly 30-year-old ruling by the Tennessee State Supreme Court that kids who are 14 years of age or older can receive vaccinations without parental consent. She was fired for telling health administrators that the state Supreme Court had made this ruling 30 years ago. She did not advocate for the ruling. She just informed 
informed the state's health administrators because that is her job as the state's top vaccine administrator. She was fired for doing so in Tennessee. The GOP lawmakers have been attacking the department's push to get minors vaccinated recently with state rep Scott Sapicki even suggesting during a hearing last month that maybe the entire agency should be dissolved. Yes, it is a death cult. And if they were only talking about killing themselves, I might not care. But their idiocy affects all of us, including those who cannot get vaccinated due to various health uh, reasons. And even those who have been vaccinated, because uh, the more that the virus gets transmitted to unvaccinated people, the more the virus changes, creating new variants, which the current vaccines may or may not protect against. Uh, And yes, even the current vaccines are not 100 percent effective. So, yeah, sorry, there's a bunch of noise and crap and terrible stuff out there, but it is uh, terrible stuff that I think you need to know about so that uh, terrible stuff like this so that maybe you can help your fellow Americans understand it. There is an upside to all of this today. There is. Yes, maybe. Uh, maybe reports like this uh, and all of on all of this madness and this insanity is helping to change things for the better. A, uh, a, a, a diarist over at Daily Coast last night, Rhode Island Aspie, uh, pointed out she has he or she has been following the Washington Post vaccination tracker uh, since the rollout began and reports that there are now a whole bunch of these red states where the numbers The vaccination numbers over the past week are beginning to go back up. She cites uh, in in double digits, Oklahoma, 21 percent, Texas, 14 percent, Utah, 18 percent, Missouri, 21 percent, Nebraska, 69, 69 percent. These are numbers that are going where uh, vaccination rates are going up in those otherwise red Donald Trump death cult states. Uh, of the states that I specifically mentioned here today, Missouri, looking at it today, they're now up. Yesterday was 21 percent. Today they're up 28 percent over the past week. That is good news as of today. But Tennessee is now down a stunning 70 percent compared to last week on its vaccination rates. Mississippi is down 80 percent. So uh, sounds like some uh, folks in those states uh, need some of the uh, fear of God to get into them. Maybe it, you know, helps in reporting these stories. Hopefully that fear of God comes soon. Desi Doyen in the Green News Report is next on the broadcast, uh, by the way, with an inordinate amount of encouraging news (laughs) for a change. And as always, a healthy fear of God. That's straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial unless you're vaccinated. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Okay, 
Uh, like I say, an inordinate amount of encouraging news <laughs> on today's Green News Report. Just yep. go in. Are, are you okay? <laughs> we shall see. We'll see. In our latest Green News Report. We're going to get this done. We are getting this done. Thank you. Thank you. Senate Democrats unveil massive $3.5 trillion infrastructure and climate deal. This is our generational task. And it must unite us. European Union unveils landmark Green Deal. Plus, yet more evidence that meaningful action on climate would save lives and save money. All of those savings and more straight ahead from Brandblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Things are even hot in Alaska. Yesterday, temperatures climbed to as high as 92 degrees. Which means this year, the salmon the grizzlies are catching is fully cooked. (laughs) This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, it kind of seems like they forgot about us for a while, but now, finally, the Democrats have come out with their infrastructure deal Sort of. Yes. Senate Democrats unveiled a sweeping budget deal to fund some of President Joe Biden's top priorities. It targets $3.5 trillion in spending over the next 10 years that they intend to pass under Senate budget reconciliation rules that allow for a simple majority vote. The amount comes out to about $350 billion a year. That's less than half the U.S. military's annual budget. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer lauded the proposal that increases spending to assist working families and also includes significant investment in climate action, paid for with taxes on corporations and wealthy Americans. This is generational, transformational change to help American families. This is on top of the bipartisan infrastructure compromise previously negotiated with a handful of moderate Senate Republicans. And of course, that's if those Republicans don't renege on that deal. Oh, they're going to renege. The new Senate Democrats proposal boosts critical clean energy policies with a national clean electricity standard targeting 80 percent clean electricity and cutting carbon emissions economy wide in half by 2030. A civilian climate corps to create jobs in addressing climate change and conservation, incentives to boost clean cars and the weatherization and electrification of buildings, wildfire prevention, plus reorienting energy tax breaks to promote renewable energy. Also, the budget plan would include the first ever carbon border tax. That's a tariff on imports from countries that don't enact emissions reduction policies Mm. to protect domestic manufacturers while simultaneously pressuring other countries to reduce their emissions that cause dangerous global warming. A lot of good stuff for climate in that package if it comes together. Indeed, and the devil will be in the details as congressional committees will now draw up detailed language for the legislation. However, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of the coal state of West Virginia said on Wednesday that he will not support any provisions that he believes would eliminate fossil fuels. Oh, brother. On the same day, the European Union outlined its own proposal for a landmark European Green Deal that looks suspiciously similar to progressive Democrats' 
Green New Deal. The EU Green Deal includes a stronger carbon tax and boosts renewable energy and social spending to ensure a just transition for workers and households. The European Union's plan is an ambitious and legally binding roadmap for climate action. It targets cutting the coalition's carbon emissions by 55 percent by 2030, putting the EU on the road to net zero emissions by 2050. It also includes a carbon border tax similar to Senate Democrats' proposal. In a press conference, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen focused on the moral imperative to break away from fossil fuels. Our current fossil fuel economy has reached its limits. And we know that we have to move on to a new model, one that is powered by innovation, that has clean energy. Oh, I hope they don't tell Joe Manchin. Uh, There are too many provisions to list here, but the EU will ban sales of new gas and diesel-powered cars by 2035 and enact new carbon taxes on fossil fuel use in aviation and shipping and other sectors. But to be clear, if enacted, the policies outlined in both the EU and the U.S. are not sufficient to stay below the 1.5 degrees Celsius temperature target in the U.N. Paris Climate Agreement that scientists say offers the best chance to avoid catastrophic climate impact. So all of this action and none of it is up to the task of what scientists say we need to do. Not yet. But again, a target that is not set is a target that is not met. Wow. Finally, good news. A new global economic study shows that climate investments outlined in both the EU and U.S. plans will pay us back. A new meta-analysis of clean energy studies finds a rapid transition is not only achievable and affordable, but will result in immense economic and public health benefits, including creating a million net new jobs in the U.S. while avoiding one to three trillion dollars in public health and economic losses through 2050. I'll take it. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. Thank you very much, Desi Doyan. Uh, And thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. While you're there, please consider a donation at bradblog.com slash donate. You're the only ones that help us stay on uh, your public airwaves. You have only yourself to blame. You can uh, send me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. I think that is it. Is that it? I think so. That's it. All right. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. Let's get it started.